You're listening to Global Questions by YDS, an apolitical podcast that, as the name suggests, asks the big global questions, delving into topics that matter to you with the experts. From diplomats to humanitarians to students, I'm your host, Jen Marcotti. For this episode, I'm talking with a student, Caitlin Walkman. And it was from that that I kind of saw that no organisation was really addressing menstrual hygiene management. We will be exploring how her experience abroad led her to heading her own NGO project in Malawi. Today I'm joined with Caitlin Walkman. She has experience in research as evident through her undergraduate thesis on policy sectors in Malawi and is currently studying a Master's in International Development Practice at Monash. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about what you're currently doing within your Master's. So within my master's, I'm focusing on project management um, and how to run and implement projects in developing countries. Um, So I just designed um, a menstrual hygiene management project in Malawi, um, which is what all of my previous research is on. And the NGO I work for currently is that's what we do. Um, So it's all about learning how to interact culturally, um, how to interact on a policy level, um, especially with something that is quite a sensitive and taboo topic in most countries. Um, and then just the whole design and implementation process to make it a successful and viable project, which also sort of interlinks with higher policy spheres like the Sustainable Development Goals and um, UN mandates. What goes into the implementation of a scheme? Um, so... At the moment, in the international development sector, there is a huge emphasis on participatory development. So ensuring that there's local ownership around whatever project you implement. So it's kind of trying to rid of this whole um, perspective of Westerners going into developing countries and just giving people what they perceive they need. And instead, listening to the people that you're trying to help about what they most need and the way that they think it would be most effective within their community and then facilitating them to be able to implement the project themselves. Um, So it's tricky from from an academic perspective. Something that I felt quite uncomfortable doing was designing a project when I wasn't actually given the opportunity to speak to people whom it would supposedly be influencing. So you have to do things like stakeholder analysis, which looks at anyone and everyone that might possibly be positively or negatively affected by your project and how you could mitigate any negative circumstances, but obviously not being able to speak to them was kind of morally a bit difficult because you're then presuming what you think people would know. But in the actual international development sphere, that's what you would do. You'd go and do case studies and research and speak to the people that you're aiming to work with and then design your project around them. Does that link in with the current NGO you're working for at the moment? Yeah, so the NGO that I work for at the moment, there's only two of us in Melbourne and the rest is based and run out of Malawi. So we provide menstrual hygiene management kits, um, which include reusable sanitary towels, soap, um, underwear, an educational leaflet and a discreet tub for it all to be put in. And everything is manufactured in Malawi by Malawian women, distributed by Malawian women and the educational workshops are also given by them. Um, And then we also outsource to organisations like Oxfam who will buy the kits off us and then distribute them within Malawi as well. Um, How many times have you been to Malawi? I've been twice now. Was it basically for your project or was it 
for other reasons? Um, so the first time I went was after my first year of undergrad. Um, one of my friends at uni was Malawian, and so I went to visit her. And then I kind of had this whole eureka moment over what I wanted to do, because um, I did history and politics for my undergrad, because I knew that I was interested in global issues and international relations, but I didn't know specifically what I wanted to do with it. I knew I didn't want to go into politics, didn't want to be an academic historian. So I was kind of just trying to find, navigate, like, navigate my way through what my interests were. And after I got back, I just started spamming loads of Malawian NGOs asking for an internship. And so the following year, after my second year of undergrad, I went to Malawi for four months and interned for an NGO there. Mm. And that's the last time I was there. Yeah. So how was the process of trying to get an internship from an NGO? I was quite lucky because I just spammed around an organisation that so happened to be looking for someone to do a job, but they couldn't afford to pay anyone. So obviously they were like, Eureka, there's this person who'll do it for free. But in general, I've found it harder since to get internships. So especially for UN internships, it's so competitive um, and a lot of them are unpaid and I can't always afford to kind of support myself through several periods, uh, several months without being paid. Um, and that's actually part of the reason why I'm doing my master's is because I wasn't getting internships either because I couldn't afford to fund myself or because I didn't have my master's. And there's so many internships out there that are still unpaid, but they want you to have your master's. Yeah, every time I look at those UN internships, it's always like 700 years of experience or... Yeah, exactly. Well, let's say a master's degree or 10 years experience. And I'm always like, well, if I've got my master's degree and 10 years experience, I probably don't want to do something unpaid. Yeah. Like I've worked hard enough to get... I've worked hard enough to get to this point, I should get a paid position. Yeah, it's interesting how it works. And I was thinking that the other day, like if you had 10 years of experience, why would you... You wouldn't really need, unless it's experience maybe in another field that you're trying to relate over but yeah if you've got 10 years experience it's highly unlikely you're going to need to do an unpaid internship so I I chose to focus on smaller organizations but that worked quite broadly so I didn't know before I went to Malawi that I wanted to specialize in menstrual hygiene management the NGI interned for worked across like a huge range of policy sectors so from microfinance to agriculture to women's health care to HIV AIDS prevention malaria prevention and I did their monitoring and evaluation. So I basically got to go and visit most of the projects and speak to the beneficiaries and collect data. And it was from that that I kind of saw that no organization was really addressing menstrual hygiene management. So we had WASH projects, which is water, sanitation and hygiene. And we'd gone to schools and built um, sanitary blocks that meant that they were gender segregated and that they had, they were like more specifically designed for women and girls when they were on their periods, but we then didn't provide them with the materials they needed or address the social taboos around it. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized that there was not really any organization that's doing this kind of holistic approach to it. And that's how I ended up researching it. So you went back to the NGO and was like, we need to do something in this area. And they were just like, sure. Um, or like, what was the process like? So I went back to the NGO and I, I made really good friends with one of the girls who's working in project support and I remember just coming back really frustrated one day and saying we're doing such good stuff but it's not enough but then the issue is especially well international development is frustratingly bureaucratic so you can't just go back to an NGO and be like you're not doing enough so we need to do this much more it's because of the funding structures and policies 
implications the surrounding NGOs, it would have to come from, we'd have to submit another proposal or there'd have to be a funding organisation that was willing to fund our project or whatever organisation was funding that current project, we'd have to say, look, we want to do this much more. Can you give us the money for it? It's not always as simple as kind of just going in and being like, okay, this hasn't been done. There's such strict guidelines that you have to meet with donors that it's also really frustrating. You can't just kind of say, okay, this is a great project and we're implementing it really well, but there's more that we could be doing without the donor also being on board with it. Does bureaucracy get in the way often for projects? Yeah, a lot, a lot. And I definitely say in terms of menstrual hygiene management, it's a huge battle that we're facing at the moment because all development projects and donations are really like rigidly structured around the sustainable development goals. So if you're trying to pitch a new project and you generally have to say it fits into meeting this sustainable development goal and this specific target by X, Y and Z. But there isn't even an explicit sustainable development goal for menstrual hygiene management. There's one that says ensuring equitable access to water sanitation and hygiene with an emphasis on the needs of women and girls. But that doesn't explicitly state menstrual hygiene management. So Mm. it's also harder in that sense because donors will say, well, no, because we now can't report that we're explicitly meeting this sustainable development goal because it's kind of a bit all over the place. It's not really very specific. That's really weird because when you say that, I think that your project fits underneath that equitable goal. Yeah. Because it's like emphasis on women and, yeah, and girls. So it's interesting that they'll, like, warp it to make sure that they can, like, definitely, I don't know, gain from it. Yeah, and that's the whole bureaucracy of the system is that unless it's explicitly worded, then it just it's so much harder to try and convince especially huge donors. So that's where their money should go. So were you a part of like, um, were you a part of acquiring donors? Yeah, so I worked in, um, when we had calls for proposal, I wrote the research sections, which basically justified the need for that project within Malawi and why that donor's money would be so beneficial. Um, And then I also helped do logical frameworks, which basically is, the easiest way to describe it is you put if this happens this will happen assuming that this happens this will happen and you just kind of like logically map out the whole of a project and like the different options that could be the outcome yeah so it's you have to put every like aspect of the project you have to assume that this positive or negative may happen and if this happens this will happen and it's effectively meant to it's kind of hard to explain without Mm. (laughs) um showing it but it's effectively meant to work in a zigzag Right. That forms the logic of the whole project. Yeah. Okay. And how long would that take you to make? It really depends. Um, so for projects that were only targeting one area, so say, for example, a project that was building boreholes in one village, it wouldn't take anyone near as long as a project that was providing genetically strained crops that can like grow when there's floods or when there's droughts, but there's like this many different crops in this many different villages and you have to have the whole educational aspect. So it really depends how complex the project is. So I'd say for a relatively basic project, it'd probably only take a day or two. Um, But it's also, again, with the bureaucracy is it has to go from say head office to the field office to and then back again to get approved. And it all is all reliant on the previous research that you've done. So it can, if you've got all of the information that you need there and then, it can be a relatively quick process, but that's not usually the case. How are you enjoying your master's at the moment? I'm enjoying it um, because it's something that I've been really interested in. 
like I said before, I didn't really necessarily want to do my master's. I just wanted to start working. Um, I'm quite impatient like that. Once I know what I want to do, I'd rather just get on with it and do it. Um, so I did have a slight lull after my undergrad when I was applying for loads of jobs. And the only reason I was getting rejected was because of not having my master's. So part of me is doing it out of necessity, also paying international fees. So it's incredibly expensive. But I've met some really interesting people along the way. And I think that's something that I love about this program in particular is because it's development practice, we're not just covering a theory base, we're also covering the actual practical side of how to work in international development. And we have students from all over the world and it's really, really interesting hearing their personal stories. So it's definitely been really beneficial in that part. How long is your master's? Um, it's two years, but I got credit for a year and a half. Oh, that's good. Yes, I can yeah. get it over and done with. <laughs> that's so good. Um, and do you think a lot of other people in your master's are in the same boat, like they just need the master's to have it. Yeah, which is a real shame because it is such an interesting line of study. And it is also, I think there's two groups of people. There's people who have worked in international development before or have interned and have got experience in it and maybe feel like they're not necessarily being particularly challenged. And then there's people that have never worked in international development before and this is an entirely new thing for them. Um which I don't know it's in I think the way I found it interesting is I've tried to force myself to do modules that I otherwise wouldn't have done um so I've focused a lot on conflict and humanitarian work which is something that's actually surprisingly different from implementing development projects so it's really interesting seeing that crossover um but yeah I do feel like a, f a fair few people are also doing it because they need their masters and they do just want to work and where do you hope to end up with this master's and your NGO work? Um, well, I'm hoping my NGO is just going to keep me on <laughs> once I've graduated. Mm. Um, that would be ideal. Um, and we're looking, well, hopefully, we'll get to the point where we expand into other countries because it's a really amazing NGO and there's no other menstrual hygiene management organisation that's doing what we're doing. So, yeah, I've been very lucky with the role that I've got there. So I'm hoping that I can just build on that and expand and then... Don't know, see where, see where it takes me. Yeah, so you obviously didn't go just like to seek and looked for this job. You literally no. sought out. Would you recommend that path? Like yeah, that? we were talking about this in a careers thing the other day and people were saying you can go on this website and this website to try and find jobs. And I mean, I suppose I've probably been very lucky, but I do have a habit of just spamming people until they reply to me and give me an opportunity. Um, so even the way that I got this one was I emailed the... Australian consulate to Malawi just explaining my experience and asking if they had any internships and he passed me on to my now boss and she took me on as an intern and now I'm getting paid for it so been very lucky in that sense but yeah I would say if you know what you're interested in definitely use Seek use all of the careers websites but also just put yourself out there you've got nothing to lose like as much as I've been lucky getting these internships and getting these roles I've also been ignored by probably double the amount of people that have actually replied to me. And I think a lot of people, not expect it, but they don't know how hard or how high rejection can be. Yeah. Like the rates and they're kind of like, oh, I got rejected from all these companies. I'm just not going to try it. But a lot of need to like value persistence. Yeah. It, yeah. it can be really like demoralising. Yeah. yeah. I got rejected for every single job I applied for before I did my master's. Wow. Every single job. And it was so demoralising. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's... A horrible, mm. horrible experience. But then I think if I hadn't decided to then do my master's, I never would have come here. I never would have met the people that I've met and I never would have the job that I've got now. So I do think it kind of 
all works out, but persistence is definitely key. What do you think your favourite part is about these projects you're a, you're a part of? I'm just weirdly passionate about it. It feels like such a weird thing to say you're passionate about, but I'm just such a nerd when it comes to my own kind of like niche sector and it's something that I'm so passionate about and will happily talk for hours. My friend have my friends have a joke about like how long it takes me to start talking about periods when I meet someone new. <laughs> and it's usually not very long. <laughs> um but I think that's part of it. Like it's something that's that needs good. to have more of a conversation around it. And the reason it's such a huge social stigma is because people don't talk about it. So mm. I'm gonna just take it upon myself to talk to everyone about it um awareness is also very very key yeah exactly it's the first step towards actually like meaningfully addressing anything for sure and what do you think the biggest learning curve for you was whilst you were in Malawi or just through your studies the biggest learning curve for me has definitely been how I'm perceived and how I represent myself within the international sphere because as much as I try not to perpetuate it I am this white privileged educated woman who's going into these countries and kind of inadvertently asserting my knowledge over something that I really don't have a huge amount of experience over. So it was something that I found quite hard. Like I was going in as the intern and I'd get picked up in the morning to go and do our field research for the day and all of the field managers would be like, okay, so what's the plan for today? And it was kind of just assumed that I knew what was going on. And it's something that even through my studies that I've been really researching into is whether white feminism kind of actually does people of colour a disservice because we're are we taking a voice away from the people that we're actually trying to help and that's why I really like the way that my, that my NGO works is that actually everyone we employ is Malawian they are the NGO just would not function without them it's just two of us behind a desk over here in Melbourne just overseeing the actual functionality of the organisation but otherwise we really rely on all the staff that we have on the ground in Malawi um But yeah, I think I've had to definitely make more of a conscious effort in my writing and when I speak about what I do to not be seen to perpetuate this this white privilege, I guess, that I just automatically have. Yeah, because as much as it's something that's really important and needs to be talked about, I don't want to be the one talking about it if there's someone better placed to talk about it. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting thing to try and battle. Have you experienced many other companies all talking about it? And it makes you check yourself and like the way you talk about the NGO and your projects yeah um I guess I've been I've been lucky in the sense of the structure of all the NGOs that I have worked for so the first one I interned for they have offices all around the world and it's kind of a mantra of the organization that at least 80% of its staff has to be made up from people from that country but then it was also like all of the white expats were the people in high positions so and I didn't I don't know how the employment structure works there and I don't know whether they were chosen over someone who was local or like there is obviously that inherent disparity between the ease of access we have to education in the West in comparison to access to education in developing countries. And there's definitely a lot more people coming through from their own countries and studying like the amount of people on my course who are going to go back to their home countries and work in the international development sphere is amazing. But yeah, it's a really complex kind of dichotomy between being qualified and interested and genuinely wanting to help and not kind of taking away from any local knowledge or disadvantage to the local economy. Um, And I guess it's good of you to be in a position where you're aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. What was the most surprising thing you found out um, when you started your project? Just the sheer amount of cultural stigma around it, which sounds really stupid because we know even in the West it's not particularly normal to talk about periods all the time and it was just 
But the amount of um, factors that come into play, it's not as simple as just giving women and girls sanitary towels. It's also, well, they can't be plastic-based or they can't be a handout scheme because eventually that's going to run out and there's not the waste disposal mechanisms capable of being able to like uh, to deal with an overflow of sanitary products. And then it's also like, well, you can't completely exclude the men and the boys from any of these projects because it isolates them and it makes the actual longevity and the functionality of the project so much more complicated. So then it's the element of how do you address the male kind of side of the project. Yeah, it's just one of those things that you think, oh, these girls and women need sanitary products. Great, we can do that. But then when you actually sit down and think about all of these really complex elements that also change from community to community, it's really, really difficult and how many communities is it operating in at the moment i don't know the exact number if i'm perfectly honest mm. so we have our workshop in Lilongwe, which is the capital city but the main way our organization functions is that we produce the kits in malawi and then other organizations buy them off us so oxfam for example are our biggest partner so they've just ordered six thousand, um, and then they distribute them um, we do take donations so you can go to our website and you it's only 15 dollars for a kit and then we distribute them to um, local communities. Um, but that's something we're trying to work on at the moment is we don't have a strong distribution side just because our team's still quite small, we're still quite a young NGO, is that we rely from a dis- distribution perspective from other organisations buying them off us. We work with a really great organisation called, I think it's called Fountain of Hope, and they are a rehabilitation centre for women who've suffered domestic and sexual violence. So any donations that go through them, they get the kits as well. So. We've got our partners, but we're just, yeah, we definitely need to focus a bit more on expansion and getting the kits out there. What's the website called? It's www.gracepads.com. And your NGO is Gracepads? Yes. Yeah. Do you love global questions? Then you'd be happy to know that we run events all through the year. Find us on your socials. Search Young Diplomat Society to keep up to date with upcoming events. When you were working in your first internship, did you work within more than one policy sector? Yeah, it was just one that I was like, it really kind of struck a nerve with me. Um, And I don't know if it's just because of who I am. I've been brought up in a very liberal family. Um, Scotland's relatively liberal when it comes to menstrual hygiene. Like We have legally all of our public um, bathrooms have to provide free sanitary products. So it's something that's kind of always been within my peripheral vision, I guess. But... um, I think it was also a slight element of shame of just, oh, I never actually thought about this. And then I kind of felt guilty for not thinking about that and checked myself. And I was like, oh, yeah, we are so privileged that we just can drive down to the shop and get some sanitary products whenever we need them. Like that's, And we can still go to school and we can still work. And like, if a man finds out that we're on our periods, it's not the end of the world. And I kind of, it was more this internal like, oh, I really didn't think about that. That's really bad. And then looking more into it and realising that also the international community hasn't really thought about it. There's not much going on for it. Um, but yeah, and I was also at the time trying to find something to write my thesis about. And I went in with this really broad uh, proposal about, I think, something to do with poverty and how it affected access to education, which is obviously a stupid thesis idea because <laughs> <laughs> there's so many elements to yeah. that. And I also looked into academically how much had been written about it and there is so little out there. So I was like, okay. This feels like I have a habit of making things difficult for myself. And I was like, I'll go and research and write about the thing that no one really researches and writes about. (laughs) That's good, though. You're going to lead the way then. Hopefully. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Yeah. So what was it like working in the other sectors? 
Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, it was an interesting experience for me because I felt like I was kind of thrown straight in the deep end, which is kind of how I function with everything. So, yeah, I felt I found it a bit tricky sometimes when I was going in and doing these interviews on things that I didn't really know a huge amount about. So microfinance, for example, I don't have a huge amount of knowledge around it, but I kind of utilise the use of having um, all of our field staff were also local. So when they pick me up in the morning, everywhere in Malawi is like 80% of the population is rural. So it takes hours to get anywhere. So I'd spend those hours learning about the project and I'd read up on all of our organisational material before. But yeah, it was really interesting because as much as Malawi is a really, really tiny country, its climate is so diverse. So there was a huge, I think it was a tropical cyclone called El Nino a couple of years ago. And half of the country ex- experienced extreme flooding and the other half experienced extreme drought. So even just as an organisation that works throughout the country, having to kind of change your approach and work out what each community needs is a logistical nightmare, but it's also really, really interesting. So yeah, it'd be interesting going like one week to um, villages that had suffered extreme drought and then another week to villages that experienced extreme flooding and kind of just having to but it was like similar projects so Mm. especially for the crop diversification projects that was really interesting trying to work out the approach to it and then from my data like how my data differed and that was another thing that was also really interesting is I didn't speak the local language I learned enough that I could introduce myself but um, I had a translator the whole time I was conducting interviews and I've never worked with a translator before so it was also this kind of trust issue of like they'd speak to me for ages and then he'd summarize it in like 20 seconds and I'd be like well they probably did say more than that and then the whole cultural I could change your data yeah exactly I was like are you actually providing me with like exactly what they said because summaries obviously are great in the sense of time management but if someone was speaking for ages and they were obviously getting quite passionate about something and then I was summarized it in 20 seconds it was quite like frustrating because I wanted to empathize I wanted to know what was going on and then also navigating there was a lot of circumstances where we'd be interviewing men and women together and the women would speak to the men first and then the men would relay it. And I remember asking, and I think it probably made me sound so ignorant, but I remember asking, can we split the men and women up? And I'm not thinking about how that might be really offensive or culturally, I don't want to say dangerous, but harmful or something. And um, I remember my the other field managers had to pretend that they were interviewing the men about something else. So they got them to go and show them all the crops or something so that I could speak to just the women. But even then, my translator was still a man. So I'm not saying that he was, wasn't giving me what I would hear from a female translator, but I did always kind of, I did find that when I did have a female translator, the kind of information I was getting was different. There was still a cultural issue there. Yeah, hugely. There's a huge gender disparity in Malawi. One final question. If there was one thing you wish you knew before the experience of being a part of an NGO, what would it be? Oh, that's a very good question. I guess maybe just knowing how much you are going to get given like how big your plate's going to be because even when I started interning at the NGO I work for now my role was so undefined that I was kind of like okay I have all these things to do but what my like what's my actual purpose so like for my first internship I was taken on as a communications intern but then I ended up doing monitoring and evaluation which was great but it was also kind of like because it was also my first experience working in international development and I didn't really know what I was doing to also not have these kind of strictly defined guidelines of what my role was that made it a bit more complicated so I definitely say always try and get a terms of reference for what your role is and if it expands then great but always make sure it's clearly defined 
thank you so much for your time and I've really enjoyed talking to you and hearing about your experience in Malawi and um, I'm sure our listeners enjoyed it as well. So thank you. Thank you for having me. No worries. (laughs) If we've sparked your interest or you want to hear more about a certain topic, contact us via our socials, website or the link in the description. This is Global Questions and thanks for listening.